Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Hey, I'm Jason. It's so good to be with you guys. We're going to continue in our summer in the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 34. If you want to go ahead and get that ready on your, your phone or your Bible. I kind of resurrected my old preaching Bible for these Psalms. And it's like, man, we've been through some stuff. It's like, it just feels good to like hold on to this thing, right? Like, I don't get any notifications when I use it. Like, I don't get, the, anybody else get distracted? Just me? Like, mm. Smells of rich leather. I'm not hating on your digital devices because it's like, I want you to have the word, but this is good. All right, so we're going to, in this Psalm 34, there's some very familiar phrases in this Psalm that are used in the context of worship, but there's some things under the surface that, that might go unnoticed if we didn't dig a little bit deeper. And so I dug a little bit deeper. Got my world rocked on some things, and so I don't know if it's going to rock your world. It may just have been for me. Sometimes the sermons are just for me, and you guys get a front row seat to what's happening in my head and heart, which is maybe sometimes hard to keep up with. So I don't know how this is going to land with you guys, but it's landed really good for me. And uh, so we're just going to kind of jump in here. So there's some backstory that I want you to know about Psalm 34. Up uh, There's a little header that it's like when it says, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Like, not every psalm has like a little disclaimer at the top to let you know the specific context for where and why it was written in the way that it was, but this one does. So let me just kind of walk us through a little bit of that backstory before we get into the meat of Psalm 34. So Israel's first king was this guy named Saul. It was God's plan in the Old Testament. God never intended for his people to have a king because Yahweh is the king. There was no reason for them to have secondary leadership because he was with them and he was encamped with them and he was dwelling among them and, and they were his people and he was their God. And it was the, the idea is just for us to be in this relationship with God and he is all that we need. But as you know, so Moses led the people out of captivity from Egypt and then up in, in the desert, they wandered and their disobedience, like they had to wait for a bunch of those disobedient people to die off. So the next generation could come in because God wasn't going to honor their disobedience. And even Moses couldn't get it all right. The guy who came down with the radiance of God with the Ten Commandments, telling everybody how to walk with God, he made some mistakes. And God said, you know what? Yes, for all of your faithfulness, but because of that disobedience here, like you can't lead the people into the promised land. I just can't bless that. And so Moses had to, to hand the reins over to Joshua, who was an incredible young leader who had learned under Moses. And the, the phrase, be strong and courageous, was continually used to, to pump Joshua up. And he was the one that led the people um, in, actually into the promised land. And then for a couple hundred years after Joshua died, there was just an apt, there was a vacuum of godly leadership. And the people of Israel fell into their sinful ways and they got away from how God had called them 
to live, and they noticed that, hey, all the other nations, just like, just like kids, right? Just like elementary, hey, everybody else has this. I need this. So they're looking around to all the other nations and going, hey, everybody else has a king. Are we not like a real nation? We should get a king too. And so they go and complain to Samuel the priest. They're like, we need a king. He's like, you don't need a king. God's your king. But they won't relent. They keep complaining that they want to be like everybody else, which is a slap in the face to God because the whole point was for the people of God to be set apart and not be like every other nation. And here are the people of God begging to be like every other nation. And so then Samuel uh, goes to God and he says, they won't stop. And eventually God just says, you know what? Give him a king. Give them what they want. And this isn't really where the sermon's going, but I just kind of was thinking about this. Um, God giving us what we want is not always an indication of his blessing. God allowing us to have what we're crying for is not necessarily an indication of his blessing or his good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will was for us to be in such close relationship that we need no other king. Even in our church, Jesus is our senior pastor, right? Like we line up under him and we acknowledge him and we follow him. He is the authority, he is the rule, he is the reign. And that is the model that he set up for us. But the people of Israel are like, give us a king, give us a king. And so they give him Saul. So, so they pick Saul. And Saul was like everything you would want. He's strong. He's fit. He's powerful. He, he seems to know all the right things. He just looks the part. And he looks like all the other kings. So Saul becomes the king of the people of Israel. But it doesn't take but about five minutes for Saul to become just a really terrible person. Like his character issues are well documented. And he was not honoring God with the leadership of the nation of Israel. So God kind of quietly... Um, sends out a search party for the next king. God already knew who it was. But he sent, so they go, God sends messengers and he goes and identifies David as the next king. David was a shepherd. David was known for his being a musician. David was known for being scrawny. David was known for being probably too pretty to be a king. Like he is not what you would have thought about you wanted when you were selecting a king, but he is who God chose to be the next king. Even though Saul was still king, God had anointed the next king, and that, that process where David was anointed and chosen as king is where we first hear the phrase that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart, because David had the right heart, and he was the man after God's own heart, and that is who God wanted to represent him next as king, all right? So then you've got this situation, and then immediately right after that, David goes, and they're, they're fighting this battle, and it's like, oh my gosh, the Philistines brought a, like brought a giant, and we can't touch him, and everybody's getting beat down by the giant, and David's like down, you know, watching his sheep. He's like, I think we can take that guy. Like, we just go, and they're like, well, look at you. Like, you can't, you're, you're nobody, and everybody else is failing, so they give David a shot, and he goes, and they're like training him for battle, right? He's not a soldier, so they're like trying to arm him and, and coach him up, and he's like, hey, God's on our side. We got this. The name of the Lord is enough. The authority of God is enough. Like, we'll take this guy out because God wants us to take this guy out. Just a complete contrast in leadership styles and philosophies, right? Saul's getting destroyed by this army. David goes out and goes, hey, we need to trust God in this. Where's my slingshot? Somebody got my slingshot? Just, I don't need all that sword and armor. Like, I can't even, doesn't even fit. Just give me this stuff. Give me the slingshot. He goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath, drops him with the stone, and then he falls, and then David 
David goes and stands over him and chops off his head with his own sword, right? All for the glory of God. (laughs) But he recognized right then that it was not in his power that he could do what God had called him to do. There was no physical way that David could overcome the challenge that was right in front of him. So then David... Uh, David's reputation began to grow, and then Saul found out that God had chosen David to be king, so Saul gets really insecure, and then he tries to kill David time after time. So David goes on the run. He's like, I don't want to get, I'm not going to die. I'm supposed to be king, and he chooses to just flee, and he had several opportunities to kill Saul um, and just take him out, but he always honored the position of king until it was his time. He had opportunities to kill him, and he didn't, but he continued to just prepare himself and continue to, to see things, how God saw things, and that's how he lived. So he even went on faithfully to serve in in Saul's army, and he became a military leader with God's favor. It didn't stop at at Goliath. His popularity grew, which made Saul even more and more insecure, and eventually... Um, they started singing these songs about David that, hey, Saul's killed his thousands and David's killed his tens of thousands, all right? If you're the king, that's not gonna make you feel very good that the little shepherd boy, you know, with no armor and no training is more popular and more well-known than you. And so Psalm 34 points us back to this particular story from 1 Samuel 21. It's gonna be on the screen, so you need to turn there if you don't want to, and I'll read it. But So this is while David was on the run from Saul. Saul was pursuing David. David was on the run. And so he comes to this particular, this is a cool passage. I wish we had a little more time. Well, I guess I can take as much time as you want, but I'm not, or as I want, not as you want, but I'm not going to. Because there's, this is a story that Jesus refers back to um, when he's with his disciples. Um, Goliath's sword ends up being in this place where David is on the run and the priest is like, take it. You got no weapons? Here's, we still got the sword that you used to cut off Goliath's head. So a reminder of how God had been faithful before was right there where he just happened to show up. They were hungry. It's like all we've got is basically the communion bread, which was sacred. And the priests actually let them eat that um, because they could demonstrate that they had been pure leading up to that. So they got to a point where it's like they, they're just, they don't feel safe. They're put, they know they're putting this priest at risk. And so they move on. And so David, in verse 10, it says, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, is not this, is, uh, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior. That's really important. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. This is how you know the Bible is authentic and real because you would never put stuff like that in there if you were making stuff up. Then she said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my home? And the answer was no. 
and David and his men were sent on, sent on. So David was hoping to kind of go be like a mercenary for this king and that he wouldn't be recognized and he wouldn't be known. And that would have been some cover for him from Saul. But as soon as he walks in the door, his reputation was so strong. The other king goes, hey, that's the guy that's going to be the next king. This is the tens of thousands um, guy. And um, this is so immediately David recognized that the king Gath recognized that he was a threat to him. So David, this is the same guy who was like, God's on our side. We've got him on our side. We'll go forward. We don't need swords. We don't need our own premonitions. We don't need our own ideas. We've got God. Let's go. All of a sudden, this time, David responds differently. Instead of trusting God for what he couldn't do by himself, he acts like a fool. He pretends to be insane because he was afraid of dying before Gath. And in the end, the plan works. So there's some disagreement on this passage from scholars. It's like, oh, well, God obviously blessed that because David got away. But I think that if God had blessed that and David knew that was an act of obedience, we wouldn't have Psalm 34. What we have from David is like this guy who knows what faithfulness is, knew he sold out God in this instance and made it all about him and his plan and his desires and what he wanted to do in the way that made sense to him. And he was savvy enough that his plan worked, but not every plan that works is blessed by God. Not everything that we ask for is blessed by God. And so we have to be able to compare that to faithfulness and see where we are in this. So David averted a potential crisis by changing his behavior. He changed his standing. He changed his righteousness before God. He changed his identity. He changed who he was as an image bearer of God to do something that he wanted to do to save his own life. Um, all right, so fun fact about Psalm 34, now that we're going to move over here, is that it is an acrostic poem. Um, so the, each line of Psalm 34 is, um, the, is the, a succession through the Hebrew alphabet, um, I don't know the Hebrew alphabet, so I'm of no help to you there, but that's why it kind of explains that it's a bit jumpy topically. So it's not like this progression of thought and logic and argument, so it just goes through these letters, and so it talks about some things, talks about some other things, comes back and talks about some other things. So I did my best to like group all of these things together to pull out all of the direction that David was capturing here um, in his heart. So let's read Psalm 34, all right? All right? Okay. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. And those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 
The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and, he, and, he, and his ears toward their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So there's five things that, that I see when I was breaking them down. Number one is we see David's realities. Number two, we see David's response to those realities. Number three, we see God's response back to David from his responses. Four, we see David's new realities. And then five, we see David's new behavior. So that's kind of the map of of where we're going. So number one, I want to talk about David's realities, and I'm just calling these David's not great realities, because he created this situation where he was in a position where he was uncomfortable, where he was experiencing some things, and so I think that through the song, he's expressing the, the things that he was feeling at this time, and I don't know if you have any situations in your life where you look back and go, that wasn't great. That was not my, my best moment. With uh, the spittle running down my beard, I, uh, not something I want to go in my biography, yet it did. Um, but we all have these situations like when we acted a fool. We have these situations where we pretended to be something that we're not, or we changed our behavior, or we compromised our identity before God. And what I love first and foremost about David is just his model of authenticity is such an encouragement to us. And so he's looking back at this moment he's not proud of, and he's giving us things to, to identify with. And so um, judging from his response, it seems like he thought that was the only way out of his situation, but now he realized that there was a better way. And so while this isn't, we looked at you know, his confession and repentance um, when we looked at Psalm 51. So this doesn't have that blatant confession theme to it, but we do see something kind of new, which I think is really helpful. It's like, so what did he do thinking back on that time that he wasn't proud of, a time in his life where he was posing to be something that he wasn't, a day where he compromised what he knew God was calling him to do, what did he do? And so here's some of the reality. This is how he felt leading up to that. And so it, he mentions being afraid. He mentions being poor. He mentions being troubled. He mentions being kind of obsessed with living a long life, which is why it was so important to him to get out of that situation. He mentions being brokenhearted. He mentions being crushed in spirit. He mentions being afflicted. And he mentions being hated. These are things that the man after God's own heart was feeling as a result of that situation. Or maybe because these were the things he, were, he was feeling, that's why he compromised his behavior and he chose to be something that he's not. And what I just want us to, to understand is that we'll have these realities in our life any given time. They can show up. You probably have realities in your life that are different, that are on this list, that are beating you down, that you feel guilty about, that you're confused about, conflicted about. But that's not... 
that's not judged. That's not something that we should judge or condemn ourselves about. It's something that we can go, hey, even the man after God's own heart found himself in some realities that were not great, that he needed a way out of. And how we respond to those realities is of the utmost importance. And it made me think of... Um, there's a tool that I use with, um, with my leadership coaching all the time. I use this every week. So uh, we're gonna, I'm, you're going to get, people pay good money for what I'm about to show you, all right? So just keep that in mind when we take up the offering later. So this is the, what we call the Know Yourself, leaders, Lead Yourself tool. So over there on the left, that is, anybody know what that shape is? And what's infinity? Stuck. You know how most people feel in their life every day? stuck. I wake up, I do the same thing every day, and I'm just stuck. I keep going to a job that I'm, you know, indifferent about. My kids are struggling with the same stuff. I know I should be doing this. I'm, I know that I want to feel this way. I should be made. But the reality is that a lot of times it's like we wake up every day and do mostly the same things over and over again. And when we do that, that creates realities in our life. You have experiences in your life that you wake up and those are your realities. By the way, you and I can have different realities. You have struggles that I don't have. I have struggles that you don't have. So there's no universal rule for, well, this is what you should do. It's like, well, it depends on what you should do, depending on what, you're, what reality you're struggling with. But there's a way to respond to these realities. And so we feel stuck and we feel like realities are permanent. And we use words like, well, this is just how I am. And I'm always going to be this way. And I'm never going to be like that person that seems to be this. And I'm never going to have this job that I want, or I'm never going to be a missionary, or I, I, don't, I don't think I can do. Those are realities. And all I'm telling you is you don't have to be stuck in those realities. Those realities came from somewhere, and they came from consequences. And consequences come from actions, and actions come from tendencies. So consequences can be good or bad. There's things that happen, actions can bring good consequences, like you were disciplined, you paid off debt, you saved a bunch of money, you were able to make a purchase in a way that honored God because of the disciplines that you put into place and you worked really hard, then that gave you a positive consequence. Or there's an action that it's like, you knew ahead of time, it's like, I shouldn't click on this. I shouldn't send this inflammatory message. Like there was a little thing but you made that choice anyway, and then there was a consequence from that, right? Something blew up, an addiction got worsened, and now that's a reality that you're living with. It comes from somewhere. Realities aren't just set, right? They're a result of consequences, which are a result from actions. Choice, actions are just choices. But actions, if we back it up, come from tendencies. You and I have tendencies that we don't know why we have them. We're born with them. They're pre-wired into your biology. There's certain ways that you react. There's certain tendencies that you have a skill set that just came really easy to you. You have other things that it's like, I absolutely cannot do. So I have positive tendencies and I have negative tendencies. And so whatever my tendencies are, if I just leave those unchecked and I let those show up in my life, then they're going to lead me to this infinity loop that's just going to be over and over and over again. I'm going to end up with actions that bring consequences, that bring realities where I'm just like stuck. David was talking about his realities and it made me think of this. And then his response really made me think of this. And so if you see that dotted line on the bottom right of the infinity loop, that's what we call patterns, right? So between tendencies and actions, that is the place where you change your reality. You don't change your reality once you're just stuck in this reality. You got to back that truck up. 
And you got to look all the way back to your tendencies. Research kind of before the digital onslaught said that we receive 6,000 thoughts a day. 6,000. Now, other research is saying it's more like 60,000 thoughts and images a day because most everything we do is centered around a technology piece of some kind. Most people are deep diving into social media, which is targeted marketing and advertising all day, every day, selling back. They're calling it augmented reality. Let's remember that. They're blatantly calling it augmented reality. So they're selling us back a fake reality that we're stuck in every day because we keep going back to it and just mindlessly scrolling through things. We don't even realize that we're being bombarded with every thought that we've had gets sold back to us as something that we might need to buy. And here's a place and here's where it's on sale. And now it's in my email and now it's showing up everywhere. Like that's all intentional. Like we're getting messaged. We're getting, um, and so our tendencies are subject to all of these impressions that are outside of our control And so if we do nothing, then it feels like we're out of control for our realities. But the truth is that between tendencies and actions, we have, as as Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit that says, hey, when just because you thought you want to kill that guy doesn't mean you have to. Just because Houston traffic almost robs you of your soul You have the opportunity between tendencies and actions to choose something that submits to the scriptures. The Holy Spirit's doing that. So we have with those tendencies, good tendencies are no problem. We have things that we like, things that are good, so part of our reality we like. We have destructive tendencies that ruin relationships, that ruin jobs, that ruin a lot of things that have hurt other people. And that was because between tendencies and actions, we didn't step back and go, what would honor the Lord in this space? I'm a child of God. I'm being transformed. I'm being sanctified. I'm not a slave to my past tendencies. I'm not a slave to this sinful, that sinful thought comes into my head. I do not have to choose it. I have the power to choose something to give me a better consequence to create a better reality in my life. All right, life coaching over. So we're gonna go on now. So David had these realities. They were just where he was. He was feeling in all of those ways, afraid, poor, troubled, obsessed with his life and brokenhearted, crushed in spirit. But then he chooses at this point to respond to those things and look at the words he uses to respond. So the first things he mentions, I'm calling them praise things. He just, he responds with some praise things and he just lets all of things rip in the psalm. Bless the Lord, which is just speaking well of the Lord. Speaking well constantly of the Lord. When I get a tendency, when I get a sinful thought, my response can be, bless the Lord. Lord, I love you so good. This is not you. Praise the Lord, which just means giving thanks to him. Thank you that you've given me everything I need for life and godliness. Thank you that you've given me. The Bible says that whenever temptation comes, he gives you an out. Praise him. God, thank you that you've given me an out. I don't have to choose it. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Don't make a fool of yourself and of God. Make a fool of those who don't believe in God. Boast in him. Delight in him. It's not about you or me magnify the Lord. And I love this word magnify. And it just means to make greater. And let me tell you something. 
God's not becoming more great. He's already all the way great. All right? He's fine. But we, depending on the choices that we make, we can choose to magnify him, which is like, ooh, there's a little, I've never seen that before. Good grief. This goodness and this greatness, like it's so much bigger than I ever considered. I never thought it's so much wrapped up in me, like I'm not even giving room to, to see the greatness and the goodness of God. And then he talks about exalting the Lord, which just has to do with lifting something up, elevating the priority of the way that we see him and relate to him. And then after that, he uses, after he uses all of these words, he uses words of duration like at all times and continually. There's not really any tricky language things going on there. How do you lead yourself into better realities that honor God? Continually, all the time, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, boast in the Lord, magnify the Lord, exalt the Lord, especially when you don't feel like it. Especially when all hell's broken loose. Especially when you can't see the way forward. Especially when King Gath was like, this guy has killed 10,000 people. We got him right where we want him. Even then, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, boast in the Lord, magnify the Lord, exalt the Lord. And then, I was wanted to, I thought this was cool, right? So let me talk about magnify just for one second longer. So it just seems really significant because I feel like magnifying the Lord can kind of fuel the other things because as we're diving in and seeing more of his greatness, it's just like, oh my gosh, praise him, bless him, exalt him. There's more, praise him, bless him. Oh, there's more. We have that opportunity. So like I found this picture, right? So I know, I'm the satellite picture guy. So this is from the Hubble telescope. Like seeing beyond what our eyes can see, this space canyon thing, I don't know what it is. Like I'm not a scientist, but isn't it amazing looking? Like how can you see, like when we look up in our sky, like we see, oh, there's a sky and some stars. But when you have the power of magnification, when you're able to magnify what our eyes could normally see, we see that and like there's color and, and there's, this isn't a great screen for like super fine detail, but you can still see there's just things that your eye could never see through the Hubble telescope. How many of you know there's a new telescope, right? The James Webb telescope. Now look at what it found in the exact same place. Magnify. If you were there, it would just look like it is, but from a distance, it's like, oh, when I magnify a little bit, that's amazing. I can magnify even more. I can magnify even more. And that's what our faith in God should be like. Continually looking for more. Continually finding more. Discovering more. Learning more. The word is living and active. It's continually bringing God's revelation to us. So to magnify, I just wanted us to kind of have that in our, our wheelhouse as we go forward. So the next things, those are like praise practices that he talks about. And then he talks about some personal practices. And he says these things, seek the Lord, which seek the Lord just means look for him. He's not playing games. He's not hiding. He says he wants to be found. Seek him. Look to the Lord. Direct your gaze towards him instead of the thing that's tempting you to change your behavior or identity. Take refuge in him. 
We take refuge in far too many of our tendencies to make ourselves feel a certain way. We deserve to feel pleasure, so we make a choice to modify our behavior away from what pleases God because we want a refuge. We're looking for a safe place, and God is going, I'm it. You'll find it no other place, so take refuge. Fear the Lord, which is having the ultimate respect, more than you respect any other thing. Fear the Lord, and I love this one, cry for help. When was the last time that you cried for help? Out loud, with your mouth, cried for help. When was the last time? That's what that means. Literally, to out loud, ask God for help. David says it's important when we're discovering these realities. And the thing about, nobody can do these, nobody can do these for you. You can't inherit any of this. You can't just absorb, like you can't just, you have to choose it. These are choices that we make to put God first. And David sees that these were better responses than acting crazy and changing his behavior. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to act desperate. One of the biggest challenges that the pandemic has given us is that everybody feels like they're in survival mode. The world is in survival mode, which compromises decision-making which means that we've deprioritized what God's always said we should do when we get into those situations. Praise things and practical things. When we're experiencing challenging realities, we get to choose how we respond. We either respond with these praise and practical things to help us magnify God and see more of him, or we choose to look like an idiot with spit dripping off of our beard in the presence of a bunch of dignified people. Like the choice is ours. The next thing, God's response. So David says, hey, here's how I respond. Here's where I was. Okay, I chose to do these things. Now here's what God did in return. He answered. He delivered. He hears. He saves. He encamps around. His eyes are toward. His ears are toward. He's against those who do evil. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He delivers from afflictions. He condemns the wicked. He redeems the life of his servant. So we're not just like expecting nothing. We're expecting God to be God. We're expecting God to do what God does. And in return to our crying out and in turn from our praising and blessing and magnifying and exalting and seeking and looking and taking refuge and fearing and crying for help, God's saying, here's what I'll do. I got you. I'm enough for whatever it is that you're facing and I'm better than what you're gonna choose. I've already got this. I've got a way out for you. Trust me. Don't trust you. Don't trust the internet. Don't trust somebody who's got literally no experience in the thing that you're facing. Don't necessarily trust the person that's been through it more than you trust God. Because God does all of these things. Can you go back to that last one, Lance? Let's just run through these again. Let's just look at how God shows up for his people all the time when they cry out to them. He answers you. He's wanting to be found. He delivers you. He leads you out. He hears you. But are you speaking? 
He saves you, but are you letting him? He encamps around you. He's dwelling among us. He is God with us. Do you believe it? His eyes are toward you. He's paying attention. His ears are toward you. A lot like listening. We'll go back or go to the next one. And it's, and also he sees the evil and he's not letting it get by, even though it may look like he is. He's fine. He's got this. He's near the brokenhearted. So if you're brokenhearted, tell him thank you that he's close to you. If you're crushed in spirit, know that he's here now and he delivers from afflictions and he condemns the wicked so you don't have to. It's not on you. And he redeems the life of his servants. And so because of God's response, David experiences new realities. So before he was telling you how busted he was and how lonely he was and how frustrated he was and how confused he was. And now he uses these words to tell you what he's experiencing. He's redeemed. Redeemed. In the Old Testament, when something or someone became enslaved, you couldn't free yourself from slavery. Somebody would have to purchase your freedom. And when your freedom was purchased from that which you were enslaved to, the word they used was you've been redeemed from that slavery. The Bible teaches us that sin, sin enslaves us. And so if we're taking that same Old Testament imagery, we can't free ourselves from sin that we choose. Those tendencies that become actions, like those actions, like we can't save ourselves from that. We can't purchase our way out of those situations, which is why God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to purchase our salvation, to make redemption possible for us. So we get to be free from that which is currently enslaving us. The reality you feel trapped in, your, purchase has, your freedom has been purchased by Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And David was experiencing this redemption on the other side of crying out and asking for God's help. And then it said he was radiant which is what they said Moses was when he came down with the Ten Commandments. Like he had to put a veil over his face because the radiance was so intense. It was like making people go blind. But there was a visible difference for the people who've been with God. They were set apart. When you've been with God, when you're walking with God, there's also a radiance that you have. Something that oozes different than what's in the world that makes people go, what's that? That's Jesus. Do you want some? Or we just live like everybody else. We need a king. We need a king. I want a king. I want a king. And look like everybody else. Or we go through this process of redemption and we allow radiance to be something that we get. And it says that he was provided for. It says that he was protected. It said that he was not ashamed what was he in front of that king when he thought he was going to get killed? He was ashamed. He would not let God be God in that moment. And he acted insane instead. That was his choice. The alternative to that is like, kill me if you want to. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because God knows what he's doing and I'm with him. I will not change my behavior based on that. And then he said, I'm blessed. I still think it. We need to take back our hashtag. Hashtag blessed is for Jesus people. It's not for anybody else, right? The rappers don't know. Like that blessing, that's not the blessing. 
we have the blessing of God and there's nothing else like it. And these are not unique experiences reserved only for David, the realities we all can know as a, according to God, living by God's faithfulness. And then I just want us to see that because of all of that, David went from these like not great realities he responded to those with praise things and practical things. Then in return, he experienced God and his character and who he was. And then David, David was able to experience these new realities. And when he was experiencing these new realities and the security of being right with God, he had new behaviors. Those old behaviors that he described at the beginning, they gave way to new behaviors. And one of the things that I think is just so incredible about this, so if you think, think back to the verse that we read, or the verses we read in 1 Samuel, where it said that he changed his behavior, that word behavior is the same Hebrew word used in Psalm 34, 8 for taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good actually could be translated behave and see that the Lord is good. Behave consistently with the goodness of God. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. I never in a million years would have thought those words would be the same. They're the exact same word. David changed his taste when he was afraid. He changed his identity. He changed his behavior. So when we read this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We're being called up to behave in a way that proves that God is God and that we are his children and that our actions should be consistent with what we have seen and experienced in him. That's tasting it. Let our actions bring kingdom consequences of of spiritual fruit of Christ-like fruit ushering in realities of blessing. And the transformation of David's before and after looked like this. Now he's in humility and he's hearing and he's glad. He turned away from evil and he's doing good. He's seeking peace and pursuing it. He's keeping his tongue from evil and deceit. And remember he said, oh children, listen to me. Listen to the people who are walking like this. Don't listen to the crowd. Don't listen to the other nations. Listen to the God people. Listen to the redeemed. Be teachable. Be learning. That's what David was, was that was the result, right? Incredible transformation of behaviors from one list to the others. And I was just thinking about the taste and see verse, and I was just thinking about COVID, so many people, your taste, gone, robbed. You have an inability to taste. Or for others, it tastes different than it used to taste. And I just think that one of the things that God is up to right now in our time, in our day, is we need to change some of our taste. We need to lose some of our taste. We need to lose some of our behaviors that have become culturally acceptable but are kingdom inappropriate. We need to call ourselves up to taste and see that the Lord is good. So in order to do that, though, we're going to have to let go of some things. We're going to have to admit, like David, he is acknowledging, I was dumb. Why did I do that? 
This is better. This is the better way. So as we close, I just want us to, to put this in our, in our world, right? So are you able to identify your challenging realities? Are you willing to say, this is a not great reality that I'm stuck in and it doesn't honor the Lord? What in your life would fit that description? And here's the thing, all of us have something. It's not judgment, it's not condemnation, it's opportunity. What's our response to that? Are we willing to, to praise him and seek him, take refuge in him as an alternative? Are, are we trusting, are we listening, are we crying out, are we listening to what God is bringing back? Is the voice of the Lord leading us into the next things? Are you believing God for what only he can provide to you? Or are you believing that that was for somebody else and you don't deserve it? You can have it. It's yours for the believing and the accepting, even this morning. Are you redeemed? And if, you, if that was like a concept you've never heard of, would love to talk to you more about that, about the redemption available through salvation in Jesus. It's a reality you can know. Are you feeling radiant? Have you ever asked him for radiance? God, I want to be radiant in this world. And what about your behaviors? Are they consistent with the faith you proclaim? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.